The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York City, and here is your top five at five. Just how will this topsy-turvy crazy week end for stocks? It's not clear. Futures all over the board as the monthly jobs number gets set to drop this morning. Bending to Beijing, ride-sharing giant Didi says it will delist from the New York Stock Exchange as Chinese regulators dial up the pressure. Are more Chinese companies set to follow? A federal government shutdown averted again for now as the Senate passes a late-night funding bill that allows Washington to pay its bills through February. Omicron hitting the Big Apple as New York City confirms multiple COVID cases with the new strain. And he's keeping his word. Elon Musk's stock selling spree now hitting $10 billion. It is Friday, December 3rd. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Friday morning. Thanks for joining us to round out your week. And here's how things look on this Friday Futures. Well, they are not giving us much direction at all. They are mixed as well. And maybe it's kind of nice to have a little bit more of a sanguine-type morning. We are seeing stock futures, you can see on the Dow, up a little bit. NASDAQ futures down a little bit. So kind of a calmer day than what we've seen because it has really been a wild few days for Wall Street, to say the least. Let's look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average alone going back to last Friday. So a week ago, when we had that 905-point loss on a half day. Then we had a 200-plus gain on Monday. We had big losses Tuesday and Wednesday. And then yesterday, the market roared back with a 600-point gain. So let's do this. Carry 900, carry the one. If you are keeping score overall... The Dow is now actually up about half a percent, at least so far in December. Not going back to last Friday, but in December, the Dow is now up 0.47% to be exact. That is despite some big down days. The NASDAQ in December is a bit lower. It has been a crazy busy week for crude oil as well, with just as many big swings. Actually, oil, it is higher right now, and oil is higher by about 3% so far in December, although well off its highs of where it was just a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk more about oil actually coming up in the first hour of Squawk Box. All right, around the world, things are just getting warmed up in Europe. Let us see how they are rounding out their week. They've also had kind of a crazy week. Juliana Tottlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with the early trade. Juliana, how's it look? 
Brian, good morning. Well, it certainly has been a wild ride in Europe as well. Similar swings to what you've seen in the U.S. This morning, we've got green across the board, but fairly contained. So uh, European equities are moving higher. No massive moves in either direction. And the gains are fairly broad-based. This comes after a down day yesterday. The stock 600 dropped about 1.1%. So we've been sort of moving um, out of lockstep with the U.S. with a little bit of a lag. The previous session, we saw a really strong rebound. The stock 600 rallying about one7 we retraced those gains yesterday and now this morning rebounding um, to a slightly lesser degree. Um, breaking it down from a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. Uh, it is a mixed picture. At the top of the board, you've got oil and gas out in front, 1.3% higher, moving uh, in lockstep with the price of oil, as you just highlighted. Travel and leisure also interestingly rebounding this morning, up about nine-tenths of a percent. But that sector has been hit hard in recent trade on the back of these Omicron concerns. On the downside, basic resources, banks, and telecoms underperforming. Um, here in Europe, the big news yesterday, some new restrictions coming into place in, Ger in Germany and uh, more restrictions potentially on the horizon. Brian, back over to you. All right, Juliana Tatelbaum in London. Looks like a mixed scorecard there, Juliana. Thank you very much. Well, now to another developing story that is breaking overnight. Chinese ride-hailing giant Didi says that it will delist for the New York Stock Exchange. That is fewer than six months after going public. DD shares have been under pressure since that IPO in June, down 44% and closing under eight bucks yesterday. But that is not the reason it is taking its stock and going home. Eunice Xun joining us from Beijing with more. Eunice. Thanks, Brian. Well, Didi said that it's moving its listing to Hong Kong. Uh, the company didn't cite any reason for the change, but Chinese regulators have expressed their concern that Didi could be a national security risk, given its potential exposure to U.S. authorities and its treasure trove of data. Now, for U.S. investors, Didi says it will ensure its shares are convertible. It will hold a shareholder meeting for a vote and immediately pursue a listing in Hong Kong. But what's unclear is whether Didi would be accepted by the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange has a reputation for being very, very tight uh, with its IPO regulations. Um, and in fact, there was a whole lot of speculation that uh, one of the reasons why Didi chose New York was because it wasn't able to meet those strict requirements in Hong Kong with permits as well as other paperwork. The expectation at this point now, Brian, is that a Didi is going to pursue a dual primary listing in Hong Kong within the next three months and that it would be delisted by June of 2022 um, from, the, from New York. That is a big deal there and certainly a big company. Eunice, are you hearing or reading that there are other companies, China-based companies, that could follow suit and do the same thing? Absolutely. I have been hearing that um, a lot of the uh, Chinese companies here have been talking about how uh, there has been so much more pressure now from Chinese regulators uh, because of the, the regulators' concerns of national security. And then uh, coupled with that, uh, there's been a lot of discussion today about how the SEC is tightening its own regulations um, to have greater American scrutiny of uh, Chinese companies or foreign companies and potentially um, getting 
getting kicked off the exchanges in that way. So there's been a lot of discussion about that. And you could actually see it reflected in the share prices of tech companies in Hong Kong. Uh, Bilibili, uh, JD, uh, companies that uh, have list, dual listings um, really were hit hard today. And in addition to that, there was, there's been plenty of concern that Chinese companies are now going to have a much harder time uh, raising money. Eunice Shun live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. Certainly a big story there. And we will see if other companies follow the sort of the trade war on equities continues. Eunice, thanks. All right. Now to your other top story on this Friday is cases of the COVID-19 Omicron strain pop up in New York City and apparently have already been here for a few weeks. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. Yes, so New York State confirming at least five cases of the new variant hours after cases were detected in Minnesota and Colorado. The majority of the cases were detected inside New York City itself and surrounding boroughs, according to uh, Governor Kathy Hochul. Minnesota's confirmed Omicron case was found in a resident who recently returned from New York City. Google says it will no longer require its employees to return to corporate offices on January 10th, according to an internal email sent to staff seen by CNBC. The company says it will wait until new cases, until the new year to assess when U.S. offices can safely reopen at full capacity. And according to a new study out of the U.K., six different COVID-19 vaccines are found to be safe and effective when used as boosters. The peer-reviewed phase two trial published in The Lancet looked at the safety and efficacy of seven vaccines given after two initial doses of either the of either the Oxford, AstraZeneca or Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Brian. Yeah, in that COVID-19 case, the gentleman involved apparently had been here November 19th of the yep. 21st. And if and if he brought it or if he got it here, it means the case has been around Maybe a lot longer than even the headlines may have suggested. Exactly. Savannah, now, thank you. You got it. We'll see in a few minutes. All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on your trading day ahead, including some unusual activity in the bond market. Plus, Elon Musk breaking the $10 billion mark, but this one, when it comes to his stock selling spree. And Congress waiting until the 11th hour to avert yet another government shutdown to tell you what they agreed on. We return right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, good morning. Welcome or welcome back. The Senate late last night passing a bill to fund the American government through mid-February, averting the risk of a shutdown. The 69 to 28 vote funds D.C. through February 18th, and it came just hours after the House passed the measure with the support of just one Republican. 
Also happening, Elon Musk's stock selling spree stretching into a second month. New disclosures late yesterday showing the Tesla CEO selling another 934,000 shares valued just over $1 billion. Musk has now unloaded more than $10 billion in stock since his selling began on November 8th after polling his Twitter followers about whether or not he should sell 10% of his Tesla stake. And BuzzFeed will raise roughly $16 million from a public listing Monday. This after the SPAC it is merging with suffered a wave of investor withdrawals. Remember, in June, BuzzFeed announced the plans to go public via a SPAC merger with 890 Fifth Avenue Partners. But since then, the blank check company has seen about 94% of its $287 million funding dry up as investors fled the deal. Ouch. All right, now let's get to the market and your money. And let's talk about what the bond market may be telling us. Last night on Fast Money, Guggenheim's Scott Miner told us that the bond market, which, remember, has a negative real yield, may be suggesting the American economy goes into recession in the next few years. For more on whether the new year could usher in a new leg for the safe haven trade, let's bring in Thomas Graff. He is Brown Advisory Portfolio Manager and Head of Fixed Income, Thomas, welcome to the program. I don't know if you caught that interview. If not, no worries. But uh, Scott Miner is saying basically because the, the way that we have negative real yields, the yield minus inflation, he thinks the bond market is pricing in a recession in the next couple of years. Would you agree? I don't know that I would say uh, the bond market is pricing in a recession. However, it is definitely true that real yields being negative indicate some pessimism in the bond market. I think What's uh, a bit more on point is that the bond market thinks that the economy can only handle a few rate hikes. And after that happens, the Fed will have to back off and that'll keep real yields negative. You know, I kind of only half joked last night in the program, Thomas, that uh, Jay Powell's had more flip flops than a Jersey Shore beach shop. I mean, he went from being sort of dovish to super dovish to being fairly hawkish shortly after being confirmed. Uh, the bond market seems to be reflecting some of that change. What do you make about the apparent big change of heart by the Fed chair and where the bond market may be going? Look, I think in Powell's heart, he wishes he could stay as accommodative as possible, as long as possible, but reality just didn't cooperate. Um, I think certainly he thought inflation would have subsided a good bit by this time, instead, it's accelerated. And at a certain point, um, facts are facts, and the central bank has to defend its price stability mandate. So I, I, I don't know that he's changed his mind of what his preferences are, or really that it has a lot to do with the confirmation. I just think he's got to react to the facts as they are. Is there any reason to own treasuries at all right now when you're getting, you're getting negative return on your money? I mean, I'm a bond guy, so I have to answer a certain way. No, look, I, I we're well, very other cautious. Type. Thomas, there's other types of bonds. There's high <laughs> yield bonds. There's all no, kinds look, of bonds, many yeah, of which are yielding really pretty, pretty decent on, returns. Yeah, we're really cautious on interest rates generally. Um, I actually don't. Um, I don't know that I agree that the what the bond market is saying that the economy can only handle a few hikes, and also we're not totally sure that inflation is, will subside. Um, all that much on its own. And even if it does subside, or even if the economy can handle only a few interest rate hikes, then 
interest rates probably just stay where they are. So there's not a, a lot of upside to it. You were alluding to you sort of high yield bonds, mortgage bonds. There's, there's, there's other places to be that can serve that um, anchor uh, within a portfolio that don't mm-hmm. have to be pure government bonds. Okay, so we like to call these Opportunity Fridays here at Worldwide Exchange. So where are those areas? Somebody out there that maybe wants to own fixed income for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're, they're older, they just want to maintain their money, they're not looking to grow it as much. Where should they be right now? Well, so, so, so we mentioned one area we like, which is um, government-backed mortgage bonds tend to outperform pretty well as interest rates rise because you know, there's less refinancing opportunities. And so you wind up earning more interest on the mortgage. That's a good spot to be if you just want pure safety. Um, short duration high yield. So high yield bonds inside of three years mm-hmm. or so are also a pretty good bet. You know, the economy is in good shape. Earnings are great. Um, yeah, maybe the growth won't be as strong as it was this year in 2022. Um, but there's no real reason to think there's going to be stress in the in the credit market, so stay in that short range. Um, that should perform pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still like you know corporate bonds broadly, um, but those spreads are really really tight. So you know I think being in less cyclical things um, makes still makes a lot of sense though. Yeah, and if you believe if you're out there and you believe in watching that the world is going to have some kind of an Omicron led downturn or a downturn generally, and you want to preserve your capital, not grow it, bonds can be a great place. Government-backed mortgage bonds, certain corporate bonds. We are watching them. Thomas Graff, thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, you're very welcome. All right, on deck. It is your weekly exclusive insider buys five stocks, seeing some big-time buying. And another day, another SPAC. This one with less than stellar results. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers, the three key stock stories of the morning. All right, stock number one, Grab, trying to regain some lost ground after going public yesterday via record-breaking $4.5 billion SPAC. Grab shares, though, lost more than 20% of the day after, opening at just 13 bucks. Ouch. Grab backers include SoftBank's Vision Fund, Didi, we mentioned earlier, and Toyota. Stock number two is Marvell Technologies. That's going the other way, surging in the pre-market. It had better-than-expected results. Marvell, by the way, is a semiconductor company. This is not the comic book company. That stock is soaring up 17%. And stock number three, Ulta Beauty. It is also higher right now. Cosmetics retailer crushing estimates coming in with earnings of $3.93. And my friends, that is more than a dollar above estimates. That stock up 
just over 5%. All right, let's step outside of the world of money and business, get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including the latest on the scandal surrounding some NFL players caught faking their vaccination status. Philip Menes in New York with that and more. Philip, good morning. Yeah, Brian, good morning. We'll get to that in just a second. First, a newly disclosed document showed that the U.S. Justice Department is now investigating claims of sexual harassment by former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. He was already facing criminal investigations into his conduct by several New York state district attorneys. The federal probe was disclosed in a legal services contract that the office of current Governor Kathy Hochul signed with a law firm. So the NFL is sidelining star wide receiver Antonio Brown, along with Buccaneers teammate Mike Edwards and free agent John Franklin. Brown is suspended three games without pay for violating the league's COVID-19 protocols, as well as for what the NFL is calling misrepresenting their vaccination status. This comes after the Tampa Bay Times reported that a former personal chef alleged Brown got a fake vaccination card before the season. None of the players are appealing their suspensions. So from players ruled out to a superstar returning to play, the NBA announced Los Angeles Lakers forward LeBron James has cleared health and safety protocols after missing a game this week. ESPN reported James tested negative eight times since returning a positive test that led him to missing Tuesday's game in Sacramento. The league now says the test was a false positive and the initial sample returned inconclusive results when it was retested. Finally, Burger King is celebrating its 64th birthday, and in honor of the milestone, they are offering their famous Whopper for its original price from back in the year 1957 at just 37 cents. Today and tomorrow, the promotion will apply to members of the chain's rewards program, and you can it can only be ordered on its app. So 37 cents, I don't even think you can get an extra slice of cheese nowadays on top of that Whopper for that price, Brian. I want to invert that number 37, Philip. You're a basketball guy as well. Our Rockets aren't doing too well. But you see last night that the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Oklahoma City Thunder by 73 points. Yeah. They won by 73. And it was the Memphis Grizzlies, too. I mean, you would think it would be the 96 Bulls, maybe the Warriors from five or six years ago, or LeBron's Heat from, you know, about a decade ago. No, it was the Memphis Grizzlies hovering around 500 that did that. I mean, that is, that score, I couldn't believe it. I had to double check that that was real. Wow. It's like a bad high school game, right? Like some team just overwhelms the poor local team that doesn't have enough players. 73-point margin of victory in the NBA. By the way, yeah. alternate headline, Philip Mena dunking on the city of Memphis. You're on line one. <laughs> Philip, thank you. I love Kidding. you, Memphis. I love <laughs> Have you, Have a Memphis. great day, my friend. <laughs> you too. <laughs> he loves you, Memphis. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, as we head to break, a special programming note. Next week, we are going to be at the World Petroleum Congress. It is the biggest oil and gas conference in the world. Very timely, a lot going on. First time the WPC has been in America in decades. We've got a great lineup at this critical time for energy. We'll be speaking with the CEOs of Chevron, Tellurian, Pioneer Natural, Baker Hughes, former BP CEO Bob Dudley, add Diamond back to that list, Dan Jurgen, API's Mike Summer. It is going to be a big day, Monday and Tuesday, all day live from Houston. Check it out. We're back right after this. It is Jobs Friday. Expectations, they're high, but are there enough workers to actually grow the American economy more? Futures, they are mixed ahead of it. No shutdown 
for now. The Senate sealing a deal to keep D.C. operating, but another deadline looming large. Bending to Beijing, why one massive Chinese company is leaving New York, and more may follow. It is Friday, December 3rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here. Why don't we get right to it and get a check on your Friday money after what has been a wild few days for stocks. We are seeing futures calm down just a bit today. They're not giving us a lot of help or direction which way the market may go. They're, I mean, a fractionally, call that one-tenth or whatever of 1% in the red NASDAQ, maybe a little bit more. We'll see what happens. All this after yet another big day for stocks. It saw the Dow surge more than 600 points or nearly 2% for its best day since March. Now, yesterday's move, capping off what has been really a wild, we'll call it five days for stocks going back to the last Friday, Black Friday massacre on Wall Street, when the Dow, on a half day of trading, thin volume, lost 900 points. But if you factor in 900 down Friday, up a little bit Monday, down big Tuesday and Wednesday, Yesterday up 600, just going back, well, the last couple of days, call it you know, Wednesday, Thursday, the Dow is actually down over that period. But if you want to be optimistic, we're actually higher by about a half percent so far in December. I know it's only December 3rd, but I'm trying to be optimistic on a Friday. All right. We don't normally do the RBI on Friday, but if we did, I guess this could be it. Check this out. New data from Bank of America this morning showing that just five of the biggest U.S. tech stocks counted for 71% of the nearly 21% gains for American stocks so far this year. Now, you could probably guess the names. And this goes back to this market structure idea we've talked about a lot over the years, where there's only a few stocks with all the waiting. So investors, you better hope that trend continues and those stocks keep performing. All right, we like to call them Opportunity Fridays here on Worldwide Exchange, trying to bring you some new stock or investment ideas and Here's some more for you, courtesy of RBC Capital Markets, which recently updated its U.S. small cap growth ideas list and popped on some new names. We read the report so you don't have to. And here you go. Four new small caps that RBC loves. Ready? Syrence. CRNC is the ticker. RBC sees an attractive entry point for this long-term beneficiary of vehicle connectivity. Kratos. Defense. Could be a winner from bigger Department of Defense spending trends, RBC says. Shift for payments. They are a growing player in the massively growing payment space. And finally, surgery partners. RBC likes their outpatient surgery model, especially in a post-COVID world. There you go. Four new small caps that RBC loves. We're going to keep an eye on all of them for you. All right, something else we're keeping our eye on is that more cases of the new Omicron variant popping up in New York. Savannah now is back with that and more. Savannah. Brian, good morning again. So New York State confirming at least five cases of the new variant just hours after cases were detected in Minnesota and Colorado. The majority of cases were detected inside New York City itself and surrounding boroughs, according to, uh, to Governor Kathy Hochul. Minnesota's confirmed Omicron case was found in a resident who recently returned from New York City. 
Google says it will no longer require its employees to return to corporate offices on January 10th. That's according to an internal email to staff seen by CNBC. The company says it will wait until the new year to assess when U.S. offices can safely reopen at full capacity. And according to a new study out of the U.K., six different COVID-19 vaccines are found to be safe and effective when used as boosters. The peer-reviewed phase two trial published in The Lancet looked at the safety and efficacy of seven vaccines given after two initial doses of either the Oxford AstraZeneca or Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Brian, back to you. All right, so some potentially good news there, and we can use it. Savannah, thank you. You got it. All right. Well, let's turn now back to the markets as we look to close out a week defined by whiplash. Music giving me whiplash there, but let's keep things in perspective. The major averages still up strongly for the year as a whole, though, heading into the last month of 2021. It's also the last trading month because December tends to be the last month of the year. Joining us now is one of CNBC's top financial advisors and our friend Michael Farr, CEO and president at Farr, Miller, and Washington. Kind of got a little jolted by that music, Michael. Good to have you on the program. I think the market got a little bit of a jolt. Obviously, a new COVID strain, which apparently has been floating around New York longer than we knew about, but it's out there. Do you think that Omicron is going to be the sort of the defining mover of the stock market for the next few months as we get through winter in the Northeast? Good morning, Brian. Thank you very much for having me this morning. I was a little shocked by your observation that December tends to be the last month of the year. I think that's important to keep in perspective. Shocking. I like that. Uh, it's shocking, yeah. Uh, look, yeah, uh, look, Omicron's in the headlines, but I think what we're, we might be missing here is how well the market is digesting new COVID news. Now, sadly, over the years, Brian, we've seen events of terrorism around the world almost brushed off by markets as markets understand how to interpret this data, compute it. Markets are nothing more than pricing machines. They are dispassionate in what they do. And the new COVID news, the new COVID surges, variant D, Omicron, so far, as long as they stay within certain rails, markets initially react and say, okay, the reopening stocks, they're going to trade off, right? The hospitality industry, they go down on a new surge. And then when we put it in perspective, they start to come back. We saw technology surge, right? Those are the stay-at-home stocks. My point here is that the market is adjusting to COVID. And, And I think that that's a positive thing. And so when we begin to adjust, then you begin to look at the market. What's going on with the economy? I think we're going to have a very strong jobs number this morning. And I think that you're going to see the Fed continue on its path to removing accommodation. And I think it's the right thing to do. So I'm basically I'm feeling fairly optimistic, but I think there's volatilities with us. I don't know if you caught it. We did it two days ago here on WEX. We did it last night on Fast Money. And it was pretty remarkable, Mike. I, I, I showed how when the Delta variant news hit on May 7th, Between May 7th and May 12th, the S&P 500 fell 4.8%. Going into yesterday morning, from when the Omicron news hit, the S&P was down 4.8%. Whether that is just some random, dumb number or the market playbook, either way, to your point, the market has kind of learned to deal with this because there's probably going to be another one or a number of other strains after Omicron. Probably. Right. I think that's right. And yeah, so I mean, we kinda I gotta, as investors, we got to get used to it. It stinks. It's terrible. We don't want to deal with it. We'd like it's, it to go away. But as investors, we're going to have to deal with this. 
Yeah, I mean, we're not going to fold up tent and just go away here, right? And I mean, the, the, I think the big point underlying all of this is how much money the consumer has. The U.S. economy is based on the consumer. The consumer is flush with cash. The consumer is spending money. Over $4.5 trillion sitting in money market funds right now. These dips are being bought. And by the way, earnings season was good. This is not just all on higher P.E. multiples. We're actually seeing earnings and fundamentals drive these higher prices. So, yes, the volatility is probably going to stay with us. But I think that this market continues to move higher over time. Yeah, and we're up 14%, I think, since that. And by the way, great job by our team, uh, popping that graphic back up, asking you shall receive. I think we're up 14% since that intraday low on the the Delta News. Uh, Michael Farr, terrific to have that wisdom and insight of years because calm is key. And you are calm, my friend. Thank you. Calm is key. Thank you. It really is. And Mike, one of our uh, top 100 financial advisors out there and By the way, join the firms on this year's FA100 list and other forward-thinking advisors on December 8th for our own Financial Advisor Summit. You can register to attend virtually at cnbcevents.com slash FA Summit. There's some of the guests. All right. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment, where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs. A reminder, or maybe if you're new to investing... This is not stock buybacks. You hear about that. This is different. These are people buying shares of their own companies with their own money. It is often, not always, but often seen as a bullish sign. In fact, 15 of the stocks that we've highlighted in the past year are up 25% or more this year. Not bad. So let's go. Your top five insider buys this week, courtesy of Insider Score, Verity Group. Number five, the Hanover Group. THD, $618,000 buy by the CFO. By the way, you notice there's been a lot of insider buying in insurance and reinsurance companies lately. Stock number four, Air Transport Service Group, a $998,000 buy by the president of one of its subsidiaries. By the way, the largest ever insider buy at that company. Now we're going to enter the Million Dollar Club. Stock three, Kindrill Holdings. Who? Yeah. Remember, this is the IT services firm recently spun off from IBM. Multiple insiders buying $1.74 million of that stock. Stock number two, EOG, the oil and gas company. A board member buying $4.3 million. By the way, insider score and Verity noting, not a lot of insider buying here, so watch EOG. And the most insider buying this week, Establishment Labs Holdings, ESTA. A huge $4.5 million buy at the Costa Rica-based breast implant maker it was done by one of its members of its board. So there you go. The names, Establishment Labs, EOG, Kindrel, Air Transport Services Group, and the Hanover Group. Reminder, we do this almost every Friday, except for around earnings season, and it's a segment you will only see here on WEX or on CNBC Pro. So sign up for CNBC Pro today. All right, coming up, Asian ride-sharing giant Didi, Bending to dual pressure from D.C. and Beijing, trying to take steps to satisfy both. Elon Musk hitting the $10 billion mark when it comes to his stock sales. And with the government shutdown averted for now in D.C., could the real work just be beginning? Dow Futures down about 100 points. We're back right after this. 
All right, welcome back. Let's some of the money movers that are on the move today. Global ride-hailing giant Didi says it will delist from the New York Stock Exchange fewer than six months after going public. Didi's shares have been under pressure since the IPO in June. They've lost almost half their value, closing under eight bucks yesterday. The company, along with other U.S.-listed Chinese conglomerates, have been under fire from Beijing, as well as American lawmakers, over internal accounting disclosures and national security concerns. Other Chinese tech stocks are trading lower on the news. Names to watch like Tencent, Alibaba, and Beituan. Elon Musk's stock selling spree continues, stretching into a second month. New disclosures late yesterday showing the Tesla CEO sold another 934,000 shares on Thursday, valued at just over a billion dollars. Musk has now unloaded more than 10 billion in stocks since selling began November after he polled his Twitter followers about whether or not he should sell 10% of his Tesla stake. Shares of DocuSign disaster this morning. The electronic signature company offering weaker than expected guidance. DocuSign CEO said the company's pandemic era boom is wearing off with customers returning to what he called, quote, more normalized buying patterns. DocuSign stock is down big. I can't see it, but either way, I got a lot of downgrades on DocuSign. And not to be outdone, Ollie's bargain outlet also getting hit hard. The retailer's quarterly results falling short of Wall Street estimates. All right, meantime, the Senate late last night passing a bill to fund the government through mid-February, averting the risk of a shutdown made a bid by some Republicans to delay the vote in a protest against vaccine mandates in that bill, one that may cause thousands of government workers, maybe even nurses, to quit. The deal funding the government through February 18th came just hours after the House passed the measure with the support of one. Republican. But the real work may just be beginning as Congress faces another urgent deadline as the federal government closes in on its $28.9 trillion borrowing limit, one Treasury says we will reach in just 12 days. Joining us now is Isaac Boltanski, Director of Policy Research at BTIG. Isaac, good morning. All right, help us. There's so much going on. I treat it, try to read it all. I can't. You do. You write a lot of it. Uh, where do we stand? As of this morning, D- December 3rd. Good morning. Look, as of this morning, Congress avoided a self-inflicted wound. They passed a funding bill that will punt that deadline into mid-February. Um, and to tell you the truth, that might be the easiest of their tasks over the next few days. Um, we still have to deal with an annual defense bill, which uh, they're hoping to finish by the end of the year. Uh, They still want to move forward on the president's Build Back Better legislation. And as you mentioned, we still have that pesky debt limit to deal with um, in the next few days. And so Congress did its job, but it did the easiest part of its job. And there's still a whole lot of work left to do over the next few days. What do you think is job number one, Isaac? Look, I think it's a debt. I think it's a debt ceiling. And, And You know, by and large, my message to clients has been, don't worry about the debt ceiling. Um, My view is that when lawmakers are quiet about the debt ceiling and we don't hear much saber rattling, that's generally good. That means that there's some negotiations going on in the background. And it's been very clear thus far that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell um, does not want to uh, play chicken with, uh, with the debt limit this round. And so... I am not concerned about the debt limit. I think that lawmakers will ultimately um, address it, most likely through either a suspension or a numerical increase to the limit. 
but they actually have to do it now, Brian, right? So it's a question of what mechanism they're going to use to move that debt limit higher. Um, the chatter at the moment is that they're going to try to use this annual defense bill, which is referred to as the NDAA, yeah. to uh, to lift it. But now they've got to actually move forward because the clock is ticking. Yeah, and I was actually going to going to bring that up next because uh, you know we we haven't talked a lot about defense, but it's a massive sector. It's it's basically reinvented the real estate market around Washington, D.C. All the big defense companies are now headquartered there. Do you think that massive defense bill does get done in its current form? The simple answer is yes. We've had about 60 years uh, straight where Congress has been able to clear that annual defense bill, the NDAA. I think they'll do it again. Uh, it may slip into next year by a few days, but that doesn't really matter. The, the, the core message for investors is clear. It's another $770 billion or so that's going into different priorities under the defense umbrella. And thankfully, I think that lawmakers are going to start a little bit earlier next year on this process to ensure that we don't have to deal with it around Christmas time. It's nice that we do have those midterm well, well, elections to, to, to pull forward a fair <laughs> amount of activity. We're, we're, we're exactly, I literally was going to bring up the defense bill. You brought it up. I was going to bring up the midterms. You were on the, we're so kismet, I think, Isaac, because I, I have a feeling just a wild stab in the dark at both parties may be eyeing next November. Just a, just a wild guess. Isaac Boltanski, thank you. Have a great day. All right, coming up. The November jobs number, also politically important, by the way, just a few hours away. But here's an uncomfortable question. How much does it really matter to the markets right now? RBC's Tom Porcelli is here and with a different spin on what is always called the most important data release of the month. He'll join us next. And by the way, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. It's called, you got it, Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures down just under 100. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Well, many CEOs, along with yourself, clearly paying close attention to today's jobs number. Here's what a few corporate leaders told our special correspondent, Susie Welch, at this week's CNBC Leadership Exchange. There's an opportunity to, uh, you know, even if the labor force is shrinking, to be more competitive within that shrinking pool. I think that every company has got to think about retention very seriously. And the solutions, no matter what they are, aren't coming fast enough. People want to be in control of their future more than ever before because so much is changing around them. At the moment, we're overly engaged uh, with our employees, whether it be through town halls, through performance dialogues, virtually and in person. All right, welcome back. So let's talk more now about that jobs picture and what investors want to see in today's report or maybe what they don't. Joining us is Tom Porcelli, Chief U.S. Economist with RBC Capital Markets. And Tom, not to take anything away from the news or our coverage or whatever, 8.30 with all the drama, but does the jobs number matter right now? <laughs> you know, look, I, I think that it's a completely fair question. A, a, any given month, we obviously want to get a, a, you know, a sort of a broader sense for the pulse of the labor backdrop. And that's what this report provides, right? A broader sense. I think in a micro way, from the um, from the claims data, we know that you, you know you're, you're roughly back to where you were pre-pandemic, which is you know saying a lot. Again, we're 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 getting really close to that. But I think for for me with this jobs report, I think it probably takes on a little less importance 
just just given you know Powell's pivot of 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 late, right? I mean, I think it's you know it's pretty clear that they're shifting away from worry about the labor backdrop uh, more toward inflation. In fact, I would argue that next week's CPI report is probably more important than than this payroll report. But look, we're still looking for about five hundred thousand jobs. Um, you know, we're looking for the unemployment rate to improve, and all of that is obviously great, and we're moving in the right direction. Um, but but I think it's it's entirely about inflation now, uh, or more about inflation than it than it has been about labor. Yeah, right on. I mean, if we get a number, it's five hundred thousand, right? A quote weaker than expected, or seven hundred thousand, you know, quote better than expected. Yeah, I, I just don't see it mattering that much. To your point, what matters is how much these workers are being paid and how much that wage inflation, yeah. which, by the way, is likely to, if not be permanent, Tom, right, is you don't give somebody a raise and then cut their pay. I mean, this could be yeah, permanent I, wage inflation, maybe in a good way. Yeah, Brian, I, I, th- I think you just I think you're so spot on. I, I think what we need to be on, bear in mind is this. I think as the year progresses, right, as 2022 progresses, I do think that some of the heat will come off of the wage pressure that we've seen of late. But, you know, <laughs> For whatever that's worth, because all the benefit has, or much of the benefit has already been achieved. Um, you know, wages are meaningfully higher today than if you created a sort of a you know pre-pandemic baseline, right? I.e., if the pandemic never happened, you know, you're wildly above what uh, wages would have been today had the pandemic not happened. So um, I do think some of the heat will come off. But again, I, I also recognize the labor market is incredibly tight. And just keep in mind, all we're doing in a lot of ways is going back to where we were pre-pandemic, which is to say, you know, some of the tightest labor markets we've seen in a generation. Um, and that, you know, sort of kept a more persistent undertone of wage pressure in place. And, and again, this feeds back into the inflation narrative. Um, you know, we do think that uh, much as we saw right before the pandemic, that it will feed into um, a sort of putting a floor underneath inflation. Look, we said this many mm-hmm. times, um, you know, as 22 progresses, inflation is going to slow down. Um, I, you know, I, I think that that is um, uh, you know, sort of a foregone conclusion. We're not going to remain, uh, remain at, uh, you know, these sort of lofty levels. But I do think that you're putting a floor underneath inflation above the Fed's 2% target. And, and I think that's a, an idea that, that the people are going to have to start to embrace. Inflation hasn't run this hot since, what, 92, when the 10-year note was yielding 8% and uh, mortgages cost 10%. Pretty shocking. Either way, okay, yeah. so the jobs number comes in a little hot, a little cold. We move on. Is Omicron what you're watching, Tom? Because in that jobs number is hospitality. And we know this. If things start to, you know, people get nervous, I don't think there'll be lockdowns. The public won't stand for it. But if people get nervous, leisure and hospitality could be the first thing to go. Yeah, and, and and certainly that would show up, I think, in sort of less hiring there, right? Because even with Delta, you know, we still saw, for the most part, persistent hiring over the course uh, of the last several months in, in the leisure and hospitality space. Uh, I, I do think that some of the, again, some of the heat can come out of that. Um, I, I think where, where Omicron will really show up is, is how uh, in, in the distribution of good uh, of spending, right? So, you know, the, the thing that really punctuated the onset of the pandemic was really people um, loading up on goods spending. Um, and even as Delta was emerging, yeah. we saw a shift again. We thought that we'd be shifting to services spending over that window. We didn't. Instead, we saw uh, people really load up on goods spending. So I think it's, you know, sort of that, that, that sort of yeah. interesting push pull from services to good spending that will be interesting to watch on Omicron. Yep. Wage inflation, by the way, seeing some of the travel stocks down about a percent now. Futures are down about three-tenths of one percent. But, Tom, we always appreciate you getting up for us here early on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Bye. You too. All right, folks, that job's over coming out. You're very welcome. Out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Full coverage coming up on Squawk, by the way. Next week, I'll be in Houston most of the week with some big interviews. 
catch us there. We're going to leave you, though, with Dow Futures down about 100 points. Have a great weekend. Wherever you may be, Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.